Welcome to Pleasant Grove Church, where Reverend Dr. Classy M. Preston is the pastor. A place where the Word of God impacts and transforms your life. Let's listen to a power-packed message already in progress. Thank you, dear Lord, for worship. 
We thank you for this holy ground we call Pleasant Grove. We thank you, God, that you have sustained us for 155 years. And God, we claim another 155 years in your name because you are a God of faithfulness, favor, and power. And because of who you are, oh God, we can say to God be the glory for every year, every second, and all of the great things that you have done. We praise your holy name. We ask for preaching power, oh God. And Father, I ask right now that you will bind the enemy in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that worship will go forward and that we will hear a word from you. So Father, I pray right now for a fresh anointing. I pray right now that your spirit will remain strong. And we bind the enemy right now and we lose joy and celebrations and blessings because you're such an awesome God. And it is in the mighty and precious name of Jesus that I pray, amen. Thank you, praise team, musicians. Thank you, Brother Henry. Thank you, Multimedia. I'm thankful for every blessing that God gives me. And I'm just so thankful for a loving and kind God. I'm even thankful for the season that we're in because I think that we're beginning to see what God really wants us to do. In a, uh, an article that was written by Dr. Marvin McNichol at Colgate Rochester Crozier Divinity School, he makes some comments from theologian James Cone. And I want to share some of those comments with you. During the lecture, it is safe to say that James Cone encountered and responded to a series of crises that informed his thinking and shaped his life. And I was led to this article because sometimes we think that what's happening to us has not happened before. And what we will learn is that things keep repeating themselves throughout history. Cone was living in the 19, late 1960s and the early 70s, and it was written a particular socio-political climate that James Cone wrote his first book called Black Theology and Black Power that was released in 1969. The book cannot be fully understood without reading with that historical context in mind. So whenever we read, Deborah, we need a historical context in mind. Some people are saying that they're recording what's happening during COVID-19 so that when history is written, we will have a context of why people were dying. We will have a context of what didn't go right and what was going on. And this is not the type of what's going on that Marvin Gaye was asking, or it could be, if you look at the words of the song, but go back and listen to some of those songs and you will find that there were social movements and there were questions being raised. And sometimes we get so holy that we don't say we listen to that secular music about what's going on. But every now and then, we got to fess up to say, yeah, I like Marvin Gaye, and I, I like Gladys Knight and what, the midnight train to Georgia. I mean, we just have to tell the truth about what we used to be before we got so holy. Let the church say amen. The first crisis was the question of whether one could be black and Christian in the context of the late 1960s when the dual pressure of the black movement and the voice of Stokely Carmichael began to eclipse 
that of Martin Luther King Jr. So there was a re resistance to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Brother Randolph, because Martin Luther King Jr. wanted us to be founded and grounded in love, and there were some activists who were saying, no, we're not doing that. In 1966, James Meredith, who had earlier integrated the University of Mississippi, began a one-man march across the state that he called a march against freedom. This is in Mississippi, 1966, I think I said. He wanted to prove that a black person could walk across the length of the state without being harmed. Hmm. He hoped his march would give black people in that state the courage to register to vote. And regrettably, he was shot during the first day of the march. So you see what I'm saying? Some things never change. Other civil rights leaders rushed to Mississippi to resume the march that Meredith had begun. And among those were Dr. King of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, Stokely Carmichael of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And during a speech on July 28, 1966, near Greenwood, Mississippi, next door to my Alabama, Stokely Carmichael said, we want black power. Enough of this love. It's not getting us anything. We want some black power. He subsequently wrote a book entitled Black Power with Charles Hamilton on that topic. Almost overnight, Henry, the focus of the civil rights movement shifted from nonviolent demonstrations and calling for integration and voting rights to black power in terms of economic empowerment and political influence. Let the church say amen. We're still fighting for the same thing right now economic empowerment and political influence. So the focus also shifted from black and white together to white people being encouraged to leave the movement so that black people could be responsible for achieving their own freedom. It's good to go back and read on your own to find out what really happened in history and how those happenings influenced us to be where we are now. Uh, in addition to the rise of the black power movement that challenged the relevance of the black church, was the prominence of the Nation of Islam and the still popular voice of Malcolm X. And this is the source of the second question of whether one could or should be black and Christian. And what they were saying is that if God loves us, why don't we have something to show for it? And can we be black and Christian at the same time? I hope you go back, look at the 60s and the 70s because you began to see how our theology has been shaped by different movements. And it will be interesting to see what movement comes out of COVID-19 and what's going on right now. Will we always be integrated with the Latinos and the black folk and will the white folk and the red folk and the yellow folk, will all of us stick together to make a change or will we separate again? So it's time for us to invest in the history of what really happened. So Kong's challenge here was to appropriate the language of scripture, the spiritual songs of black people from the 19th century, take some time and go back to read the slave songs and you will realize that the slaves were singing themselves free. They might have been enslaved and they might have been physically chained, but that did not stop them from worshiping Almighty God. And history says is that they were still away in the middle of the night and Massa wouldn't know what they were saying because Massa didn't know God. So the slaves were able to have a spiritual high because they know where it comes from. The slaves are teaching us something right now. We are enslaved to our stuff. 
and what they're teaching us, you don't need anything to be spiritually free and to give praise, honor, and glory to Almighty God. We've gotten too cute to raise holy hands. We've got too cute to say amen. We have gotten too busy to say the yes, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love the Lord and I don't care who knows it. I love the Lord because he heard my cry, pitted my every ground, long as I live, and trouble rises, I will hasten to his throne. I thank God for history. I thank God for the story. But church, I want you to be accountable. Know your own story. Know how you got here. And know who is sustaining you right now. It is my job today to close out the book of Nehemiah. And we've been here, what, five or six months? And I concluded that we need more leaders like Nehemiah. I have also concluded that we have watered down the meaning of what it means to be a spiritual leader. And Nehemiah, as you know, was a cupbearer at the king's palace. And there he was serving he was not just the one tasting the wine for the king, but he was really a house manager and he had relationship with the king. The word says that he was distinguished, efficient, and noble, and the king loved him. Nehemiah was also a godly man who feared God. You know anybody who fears God? Do you really know somebody who fears God? I've concluded that if more people feared God, we will have better conditions in the world and we will understand how God operates. Nehemiah was not phony. Nehemiah was a man who loved the Lord. He was godly and humble. He took on the burden and concerns of his people. He had favor from the king for unique service. Isn't it great that Nehemiah goes to the king on behalf of the people and the king gave him not just any wood to go rebuild the walls and the gates, but he gave him the best that he had and gave him letters so that he didn't need a passport to get from one state to the other, that God, through the king, gave, I know somebody here knows what I'm talking about. Sometimes you gotta look back to realize how many doors that God has opened, how he handled his opponents. He was a man of vision. Nehemiah didn't take any stuff off of his enemies. And every time they stirred up trouble, Nehemiah went into prayer. He was a praying man. And that's what I'm asking is one day I'm going to have a praying church. One day we're going to have a church that's in line to prayer, asking, Pastor, when will we pray? Because what Nehemiah teaches us is that prayer gives us access to God. And when there is no prayer, there is no access. In prayer, God abides with us. In prayer, God visits with us. In prayer, God speaks the vision to the people. It's in prayer that God delivers us. It's in prayer that God shows us who to avoid. It's in prayer that God tells you who hates you. It's in prayer that God tells you who your friends are. It's in prayer that God lifts your spirits. It's in prayer that God tells you what you need and what you don't need. It is in prayer that God delivers us. If you want deliverance, stop drinking and pray. You want deliverance, stop dressing up all the time and wasting your time and pray. If you want deliverance, stop asking people who don't know what to tell you. Ask a living God. And I'm here to tell you, 
He answers every prayer, and he is right on time. I thank you, God. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He was a man of purpose, and he was a man of perseverance. He was a man of prayer, a man of purpose. So you need to know what your purpose is, not mine, but yours. Why did God create you? Did God create Brett Vinson to be over multimedia and technology? I think he did because Brett Vinson's has a wherewithal to learn what he did, does, didn't know. Secondly, Brett Vinson is brave enough to tell us what we don't know. Six months ago, he was trying to convince me that we should use Zoom. And I had the nerve, Brother James, in a meeting to tell him I didn't like Zoom. I like to be, see people face to face so I can see the color of their eyes. I thank God that Brett Vinson didn't speak to me that day. He just looked at me in pity, and I'm sure he laid his hands on me. But if God had not shown him the vision and the future, we would not be zooming in and out right now. We would not be streaming live right now. So when God sends you somebody who has enough sense to tell you what's coming on, don't complain, but just say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brett Benson. Thank you. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know till you don't know. Sometimes, I'm going to say it again, you don't know what you don't know. And if you hang out with the wrong people, you will never learn what you don't know. See, I'm not jealous of smart. I like smart people. I'm not jealous at all. I really am not. I don't mind lifting people up because I know what I don't know. But if God puts me in the presence of someone who knows what I don't know, then I know I'm being blessed by the hand of God. Do you know there are people who are jealous of other people and all of their skills and talents and gifts? Why be jealous when God has endowed you with something? Just take the time to find out why are you here. Okay, here we go. Nehemiah, chapter 12. The wall is finished. The wall is finished. Everybody is celebrating. And Nehemiah takes them in to high praise. The word says that he had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. He also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. Choir like you. You sound like two large choirs in the time of Nehemiah. See, when God anoints you, you don't need a whole room of people. You just need God. And once you have God, you will be able to do the job that God is calling you to do. And the Word of God says that he was leading them in worship, but what Nehemiah said to them in chapter 12, go back and read it, before you give anything to God, you need to purify yourself. Nehemiah said to the people, you cannot come in here trying to serve God with all of your impurities. You ought to say amen. Because Nehemiah says without purification, there is no worship and there is no adoration for God. And what he's really saying is that the church, we need to clean ourselves up and we need to realize that worship requires preparation. You don't get up at seven o'clock in the morning and try to preach by 9.45. You get up the week before and you start asking God to speak to you. And that the Levites were there and, and the priests were there. But also Nehemiah said to the people, not only is it important for you to clean yourself up, but you need to clean up your surroundings and your environment. 
So Nehemiah said, clean up the instruments. Every now and then you need to go to the keyboard because there might be some germs over there. And you just need to purify it in the name of Jesus. Every now and then I walk through the sanctuary and I just ask God for purification in the name of Jesus. I don't know who's been in here and I don't know who's coming in, but if God purifies, then everything is all right. So Nehemiah is teaching us that something is wrong when we cannot worship God in spirit and in truth. I mean, it's hard to worship God and look at your lipstick at the same time and check your makeup and see how you look and to look at your dress to see if everybody noticed it and to look at your shoes and make sure that everything is matching. Nehemiah said, no, the purified people had to realize that they needed to be cleansed the way the Bible said, knowing that only a purified people really worship and praise God. You ever looking at a service and it feels flat, looks flat, you probably have a case when purification has not taken place. You ever heard somebody pray those long prayers and nothing ever happens because the Lord didn't hear it at all? You ever been in that situation? I'm not calling any names, but sometimes the Lord just can't bless that mess. You know, you up calling on the name of the Lord with no relationship with God. So if Nehemiah figured all this out, don't you think the people wanted to be pure? Mm-mm the gates and the walls and their surroundings were purified. Go back and read it for yourself. Surroundings help us to walk in purity. And what Nehemiah teaches us in chapter 12 is that God deserves high worship. God deserves purification and God deserves our very best. And then what he goes on to say in chapter 13 is that after chapter 12, actually Nehemiah went back to be with the king. And the word says that Nehemiah went back, and there he was, he went back to his old job. I didn't find a lot about him being promoted or anything, so I'm concluding that he became the house manager again. We really don't know every detail of his life. But when Nehemiah got back to Jerusalem, he realized that there had been some slippage in the house. When he got back, he left the people, listen at this, he left the people, Alex, worshiping and praising God on a spiritual high. He went back and realized he didn't know who these people were. He went back and he realized that they had forgotten all about God. He went back and realized that they had become permissive and that they had begun to act like the world. You ought to say amen. He had taken leave from his position, but he went back and then he came back and he said, Lord, I left the people rejoicing and worshiping you and I come back and you're paying, they're paying you no attention. So after 12 years, it was after 12 years that Nehemiah returned. And when he returned, he found permissiveness was rampant in the very areas the people had coveted to stand against just a few years before. So that tells us that sometimes people lie. It tells us that sometimes people don't do what they say they're going to do because what they had promised to do 12 years ago, they were not doing at all. And Nehemiah said, oh Lord, you gotta help me to help the people remember. I've discovered that some things never change. People are people. We talk about the Israelites, but we just like them. Before God can bless us, there we are complaining again. If God gives us what we ask, then we don't have time for God. 
if God gives us a job and we make a lot of money, we don't tithe to the church. And so what Nehemiah finds is that the people have four faults. And this is what he said. I'm going to break it down to you. Fault number one, they were spiritually unclean. They were, they were permissive, which meaning the world became a part of their environment. So Nehemiah was saying that the people of God had begun to mingle with the people of the world, and they began to look like the people of the world. Translation, when we mingle with the people of the world, we begin to look like and act like the people of the world. And what I'm also saying, it is impossible to hang out with the spiritually unclean people and things of the world and be like God. It just does not work. Secondly, Nehemiah realized that the people were financially permissive. When I hear those prayers go up, Lord, if you just cover this one thing for me, I am going to do better. I've been a pastor 22 years, working on 23, and I have some people who haven't done better yet. But what I'm saying to you, the word of God says that if God gives you 100%, and all God wants is 10%, and you can do whatever you want with the 90%, then why don't we give God the 10%? Because when we can't pay our bills, when we can't pay our debts, who is the first person that we call on? So how is it that we get amnesia and we don't do the right thing when God has blessed us? How is it that we have people around us in Durham, Wake, Orange County, starving and children with no food to eat, and we don't care about giving anything so that the church can go and buy food for hungry children and families. How can we not care about those around us who have no insurance, they have no way out? How can we not care about those who are not economically sound? How do we not care? And then we decide to talk about my 401k, yeah, I looked and I dropped 100,000. But God doesn't care about your 401k. God gave you the 401k. God gave you everything that you have. How can you drive a luxury car and see people walking who cannot get to the grocery store to get vegetables. So what Nehemiah found is that people had gotten so rich off of God that they didn't care about God's kingdom. And the Bible says that everything, 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 everything belongs to God. And so if everything belongs to God, why are you hoarding God's gifts? Why are you... Thirdly, they were permissive with their time. First, they were per spiritually permissive. They were permissive with their finances. That means that they put $5 in the envelope regardless of the season. It didn't matter. Thirdly, they were permiss permissive with their time. It hurts my heart when I hear people of God tell me what they don't have time to do. It hurts me when I, I'm not judging anybody at all. I, I just listen because all my people are volunteers. I don't pay them to do what they do. And that's why I'm looking for people who know God because I gotta have somebody who knows God and how to move the kingdom forward. But how can God bless you? How can God bless you? And you become so busy 
that you don't have time to worship God? We got, Vincent has us zooming in every day and every night. You don't have to drive to the church. You don't spend any money on gas. On Sunday morning, you're streaming live in your pajamas, having a cup of coffee. You didn't leave home. You don't come to any church meetings, at the meetings anymore. And if you come, you only have an hour and a half, and that might be too long. And you meet just once a month, but two hours is over the top. So how can we be so permissive with our time when God has given us everything that we have? How can you not have time to do the Lord? We are all about asking for volunteers to drive food that you didn't cook, that you didn't purchase, that you didn't prep to hungry people. And I have people who are too busy to come to the church and to pick up the food. I don't think you heard me. How? How can we be so busy? The malls are closed and you don't have any money to go to the grocery store. And how can we be so busy that we don't have time for God? This is what Nehemiah, I'm just confirming with you. And fourthly, they were permissive in their homes. We gotta watch what's going on in our homes. Because it's in, if it's in your home, then you are affirming that. And if it's in your home and it's ungodly, then you're guilty. And so Nehemiah is saying to the church in Jerusalem that there's an accountability with God. And when you make a covenant with God, see, all of us don't know what a, co a covenant means that you don't back out. A marriage is a covenant. A marriage is a covenant that says, this is what I'm going to do and this is what you're going to do. But when we make a covenant to God, we're saying, I'm not going to do what I do because of you. I'm going to do what I do because I have a relationship with God. So my relationship with God causes me to accept your cursing and out, and you're not doing what you're supposed to do. But what Nehemiah is trying to get to the people to see, you need to be accountable for yourself. And yet you need to realize that people who have influence over you might not be the right thing if it takes you out of the presence of God. So even though we are in this world, we are not of the world. And our true home is not in this sinful world, it is heaven. Oh my God, if I could just get people to understand, this is a temporary dwelling for me. And don't you, aren't you glad to know that, you know, you don't have to go to heaven and get a new roof on the house. You don't have to go to heaven and fix the plumbing. You don't have to go to heaven and worry about painting because the paint's peeling. You don't have to worry about the plants are dying and they don't bloom. Even when you go to heaven, you don't have to worry about the hedges being cut or not. You can just let the hedges grow forever. And so what we need to know is that don't put all your energy in this world, which is temporary for you anyway. So a palace far greater than we ever imagined. Jesus has prepared for us. So do not love the things of the world and be conformed to it. Ask somebody who loves you if you look like you're being conformed to the world. Ask somebody who will tell you the truth whether or not you have conformed to the world. That's one of the tough parts of my job because God told me to come here and he said, 
Love my people. Love my people. That's all I got. Love my people. But if you love people, you tell them the truth, not to judge them. You just love people because all of us have blind spots. And when you love people, who would allow their child to walk out in the traffic and be killed? Who would allow a, a, their child to go away and never call to see whether they made it to their journey or not? So what we need to do today is that we need to check ourselves out. Not according to the world, but according to God's Bible. We need to ask God and be bold enough to ask, am I spiritually clean? Am I morally sound? Can people trust what I say? Am I a messy person who likes to gossip? Am I a person who likes to critique others and see them down? Or am I a soldier of the cross? And everywhere I go, I'm lifting somebody up and telling them what they can be in Christ Jesus. So church, it's time for us to stop trying to fit into the world. I don't care if I look like the, the world. I don't want to be like the world. I want to be like Jesus. And so what we need to do is put our effort into being like Jesus. So on this day, I'm asking God to just strip away anything in my life that's not like Jesus. If you're bold enough, you will ask for the same thing because sometimes the people you think are on, you, on your side or not. And one of the things that I've learned is that you can't share your dreams with everybody because everybody doesn't dream. You cannot share your plans with everybody. See, Nehemiah shared everything with God through prayer. Then he came to the king after he got confirmation of what he was supposed to do. You cannot lead me or anybody else where you have not gone. I'm going to say it again. You cannot lead me or anybody else where you have not gone. John said, if you belong to the world, it would love, excuse me, and John Jesus said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you, because I have chosen you. If the world hates me because I've chosen Jesus, I praise the Lord. I thank the Lord. Jesus said that they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. He said that Satan is the God, small g-o-d, of this world. We know we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one, but wait till our God speaks, hallelujah. In this uh, pandemic, God is gonna speak. In the COVID-19, God is speaking. God is showing us the spiritual uncleanliness of our country and the world. God is showing us that we are people of the flesh. God is showing us that even though the, the government might mandate a mask, some people are so full of evil and impurity that they refuse to listen to good advice. God is showing us that the stuff we think we have can be easily destroyed. There are still tornadoes and earthquakes and there are still floods. And I believe God is saying that one day my people will listen to me. Paul said, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, holy. Do you know what holy looks like? Holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. And do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. What? By the renewing. By the what? Renewing. Sometimes my mind is so bad, I got to renew all day, every day. I have to wake up every morning and check in this mind with the Lord and ask the Lord to remove anything that is not of you. Yes, we will be put to the test. Yes, we will be criticized. Yes, people will look down on us. Yes, we will be called different. Yes, we might be called holier, holier than thou. And yes, I might not look the way you think I should look. And yes, I might cry too long. Yes, I might preach too long. Yes, I might try to sing when I'm not a singer at all. Yes, I might offer to be the greeter when I'm just overtaxed. Yes, I wanted to be an usher, but they said you talk too much. Get the people to the seat. It doesn't matter. It does not matter <coughs> what the world has to say. Paul said, my citizenship, he says, my citizenship is in heaven. Do you believe it? He said, my citizenship is in, I, I, I can't be like a doctor and you're going to tell me that I was born here, I live here, I work here, every, all of my beginnings are here, everything in my life is here, and you're going to tell me that I have no citizenship? Are you going to tell me you're going to bust me out of here because I don't look like you? You're going to get rid of me because you don't approve? The Apostle Paul said, my citizenship is in heaven. I don't need a passport. I don't need to renew my picture. I don't need to remind God of what I look like. I don't need to give all my credentials to somebody to say and pay them $150 to get a passport to go. My citizenship is in heaven. And Paul said, and we eagerly, he said, we eagerly, I said, we eagerly, meaning I am ready every day at any time. My Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because one day, he's coming for me. One day, the clouds are going to roll back. One day, I'm going to hear the shout of our Lord. And he's going to be able to say, well done. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Can you hear him? When you get tired, just say, well done. When you get weary, just say, well done. When you decide that the people are getting on your nerves, just say, well done. When you don't think you can take anymore, just say, well done. When you think you can't feed or walk anymore, say, well done. Now good and faithful servant, come on up. Come on up, higher, hallelujah. Oh, you've been faithful over what? A few things. Thank you, Jesus. Let us pray, most holy and everlasting God. We thank you for Nehemiah, a man of prayer, a man of purpose, a man of perseverance and persistence. 
And today, dear God, I ask that you give all of us the faith that you gave Nehemiah so that we can build up the walls and repair the broken gates in your people. Right now, dear God, I ask that someone under the sound of my voice will be saved in the name of Jesus. And I ask, oh God, that someone with a demonic spirit that does not want them to hear from you will be cleansed like you cleanse the lepers and that your word will go forth. Thank you, God, that Nehemiah was brave enough to go back to the people and bold enough to say, you got it all wrong. And this is not what God wants you to do. So I pray, dear God, that you will give us the power to be spiritually clean. Give us the power to be financially obedient. Give us the power, oh God, to give you the time that you deserve. And give us the power, oh God, to clean up our homes so that your name might be glorified. It is in the powerful and the wonderful saving name of Jesus that I pray. Let the church say, amen. Thank you for listening. It is our prayer that this message will enlighten and empower you to do the will of God. If you have a prayer request or prayer report or would like additional information on Pleasant Grove Church or other recorded messages, come visit us in person or write to us at Pleasant Grove Church, Post Office Box 3603, Cary, North Carolina, 27519. Or call us at 919-363-5198. Or visit us on the web at www.pgc-carry.org. Thank you again.